0: Hey guys, welcome to another issue of Inside the Asperger Studio. Today, I'm joined with Dr. Noreen Russell, a ADHD and ASD success coach for middle school and college students. We talk about her kids, her practice, and labeling and other things such as memory and and such. Stay tuned. It's a very interesting episode and I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. So stay tuned. Catch you on the other side. and adhd alike and welcome to another episode of inside the asperger studio i'm joined with dr noreen russell who is a adhd and asd success coach for college and middle school welcome to the show noreen
1: thanks reith for having me i'm looking forward to being here
0: we were just talking about labels and the connotation and and i agree with what you were saying is People just don't like the word label because I think they're afraid if they get labeled in life, it's going to hurt them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had conversations with people and they're like, I don't want to be labeled disabled. I'm like, yeah, but no matter how you look at it, the minute you get your diagnosis, you're uh, you're you're officially diagnosed as being disabled. Mm -hmm. You can't change what it says but it will help you in the long run, get help.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And sometimes people just don't get that in their head that it will help them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, to me, the diagnosis, getting the diagnosis right is the starting point point. Mm-hmm. and the understanding that the diagnosis can bring to the person, the parent, the other professionals in that person's life. That's what we want. Because there is a scientific body of evidence that can help us to understand, okay, 21-year-old, recently diagnosed with autism. We we had that this past year in our practice. This kid always felt a little different. He always felt a little disconnected. This is his experience. And um, at our practice, we sent him for a complete um, psycho-educational evaluation and- Excuse me, excuse me, sorry. And um, he did end up with an autism diagnosis. The thing is, what he's done with that is gone and learn about, okay, Mm -hmm. so how does autism affect the brain? How do I work with my autism? Where can I expect my autism to get in my way? And where could I expect my autism to be helpful to me, right? We have to, as people tell ourselves The idea of a label is irrelevant to me as an individual. Anybody can put any label on me that they want, right? Oh, she's fat. She's, you know, ditzy. Um, She's uppity, whatever. Those are labels externally, right? But if I get a diagnosis from a professional that I trust, then I figure out what do I want to learn about that? What do I want to do about that? You know, labels are external. Diagnoses are part of, your journey to understanding who you are, you know? Um, I I, I just, I think labels can have as much or as little power as we give them, no matter what the label is.
0: Yeah, I mean, I... My personal feeling is, and I wonder this, is those who are unofficially diagnosed, if those are the ones that are scared of the label, because if you look at it, there there are those who are officially who accepted it and said, I'm going to do the research into this and make my life something better than it is already. Right.
1: Right. Well, and, you know, because we work primarily with students, I think um, I had a psychologist once explain to me, you know, this child is not diagnosed with autism. They did not meet the clinical criteria, but I put on a lens because that child has a lot of autism ish Mm -hmm. qualities. And the lens helps me figure out how to connect with that student, how to help that student grow. Right. And so, you know, It all, to me, goes back to we have to understand ourselves, we have to understand others, and when we, as parents and professionals, are working with kids, we've got to understand the way their minds are wired.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of problem with the parents who just don't see it in their son, especially the ones who are, like, really hard-minded and very stubborn about the fact that their son may be on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. They can they'll call their son lazy. They're called unfocused, Mm -hmm. slow, and in turn, it's nothing. uh, These are symptoms of both ADHD and ASD combined. Right. The fact that our mind works differently than other people, and our parents just don't see that until we ourselves decide. Hey, I am tired of this being insulted or being put down i'm gonna find out why this is and i have a friend that literally did that mm-hmm. he his parents are of the old school and they're like no you don't have this and he but he had all these different disabilities going on and he's like i'm gonna learn why i am the way i am and he it comes and it came out that he had asd adhd he was also um he's got some anxiety he's got pots Mm -hmm. and severe depression and he's like now this explains so much to me but yet his parents still don't kind of accept it Mm -hmm. but he does yeah and he's been and he dives into the whole community to so he can get
1: help yeah it's interesting right i i We do occasionally run into parents who are like, no, no, not my child. I don't need to know. No, I don't see anything. Um, But I'll tell you what we see a lot of times is if we refer for an evaluation and the parents come to terms with it, a year later, they're in a much better place. Like. There was a student that came to me probably a year and a half ago, and her parents described her as, oh, she was mean, she was horrible, she didn't care about anyone, all she wanted was herself, it's all she cared about, and um, it took us a while um, to kind of unpack what was going on, we sent her for A complete um, evaluation. Um, The psychiatrist who did that said, "Wonder if she's on the spectrum." And I said, Hmm. "Oh, you know, that's not that's not in my lane to say." Uh, (laughs) And he asked me, you know, a bunch of questions as someone who was coaching this student. Ended up, yes, she has ADHD and autism. Hmm. Well, you know what? All of a sudden the reasons why the things that the family had been doing before didn't make sense, made sense now. Right. Oh, I get it now. And now they are doing, you know, interventions that are designed for a girl with ADHD and autism. That's what I love. I want kids to be healthy.
0: Hang on one second. Yeah, mom. I'm in the middle of my show. All right. Yeah. Um, Now that kind of brings me to a question. Do you see any difference between your middle school students and your college students in the way they accept their diagnosis?
1: You know, it's interesting, Reed, because where I see a difference is if a student has been diagnosed early, right? When the signs Mm -hmm. first show up and either the school has done an eval or the parents have taken them for an eval, those kids who have been identified early and who Mm -hmm. are just, it's normalized for them. This is what I have. You know, this is what I do for it. This is where it makes things harder. This is where it makes things easier. Those kids in my observation tend to have it much easier than, you know, we get a lot of um, college students whose parents were like, no, no, you know, somebody once asked us if, if, you know, he had ADHD, but he doesn't, he can focus on his video games. Um, And so he doesn't have any (laughs) ADHD. Well, then we get to the point where this, this student is 19, 20 years old and, you know, they haven't really been working with their brain because they haven't really understood their brain. And they are progressively less and less checked into life, mm-hmm. work, school, accomplishment. Um, and so for the most part, I would love to see, you know, students at are practice, Russell Coaching, you know, as soon as they have a diagnosis. So we can get started,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know,
1: helping them figure out how do you work your brain? You know, we don't wait for, you know, people who've lost a limb to figure it out for two years. Oh, you know, we don't say to somebody who needs glasses, well, you know what, just keep trying to squint.
2: Uh, No, you know,
1: we don't say to people with glasses or, you know, who need glasses. Well, you could, if you wanted, go see a medical doctor for some glasses, right? No. Hmm. Your vision is this. Good vision is this. We need to correct it. And then you need to learn how to wear your glasses. Like, oh, we don't do yeah, the same I mean, thing with ADHD. And then, you know, autism's harder because there aren't, you know, treatments left.
0: The problem Cut. The problem with ADHD is, and even ASD, when the parents see that that, and then go, oh, he's able to focus on his video games. They don't understand that that's his hyper focus. Right. That's his interest. Right. Right. And they don't understand that our hyper-focus is what we like. And, oh. and in school, my parents found out for me, we didn't know I had ASD at the time or ADHD. And it was like, when I was in high school, they'd get calls from my homeroom teacher, who was a friend of the families at the time, who would say, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting talked to by all his teachers and he can't sit still in class. He's fidgety. He's not focusing except for one class. Mm-hmm. And my parents are like, why is that? And they didn't know until much later in my life that I had ADHD yeah. and that one class held my interest. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with kids and video games. The reason it becomes that focus is it's an escapism for us. Yeah. Yeah, And they use it to get out of the reality of what they're dealing with with their own life. Yeah. But the parents don't see that because all they see is someone who's lazy and plays games all day.
1: Right,
0: right, right. Now, how do your kids deal with school with all their challenges?
1: My kids are the kids of the
0: practice. Let's we'll start with your kids.
1: Um, You know, my kids... I have to say, um, are very, very fortunate because they are both amazingly good readers. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I think that we sort of won the lottery when it came to that, because if you can read, um, then you can learn, you know? Um, and so the fact that they are so, so incredibly above level with reading, I think, it enables them to be quite successful in school. Um, My son struggles a little bit more with kind of the world of math. Like he doesn't really, um, math doesn't really make sense to him, you know? So that's one of those funny autismy things. Oh, all kids with autism are into, you know, art I mean into math and science well not not necessarily um, and so that's a funny little piece that he does yeah, so I mean, much with math
0: I mean that's one of the biggest misconceptions with people with people who don't understand autism is because it's all they see from the media
2: mm-hmm.
0: oh autism people with autism are good with math right no we're not right there are a lot of us who really struggle I mean me for one I mean, I, I love computers, but I struggle so hard understanding math, understanding things, even things like programming and logic. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of parents don't get that, that just because we're autistic doesn't mean we're going to be good at something in society, too. It's because all we see is all they see is what mainstream is and what the media presents us as. Yeah. But we're not like that at all.
1: No, I wish that message was much more clear in the media that I think this is much more true with autism than it is with ADHD. If you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism, autism Autism really presents so individually, autism presents in almost always in connection with other neurological issues and developmental disorders. And so you can't you can't predict, you can't assume that you know, oh, you have this kid with autism and this kid with autism and this kid with autism. You know, I can do that to some extent with the ADHD kids. Oh, you're having a hard time settling down. I've got five strategies. We're going to try them. Something's going to work. But people on the autism spectrum, I think, Really, need to be approached very individually. And of course, school isn't set up that way.
0: No. I mean, what people in even schools don't realize is why it's called a spectrum. Mm -hmm. There's a scale that goes from high, from low to high. And we can be anywhere on that scale. I mean, that's why the very low end, you got those who are non functional, non verbal, who who have tantrums and meltdowns and blow up in the middle of class, and people think, "Oh, they have an they have a behavioral issue." No, I guarantee you it's not a behavioral issue. I guarantee they're having some kind of sensory overload for something, or they're dealing with a lot of things happening in their head and they can't control it.
1: Right. 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 It's not behavior like a chosen voluntary behavior. It's a symptom. The behavior that we see is the end of the story. What went on before that? What was the sensory overload? What was the stress? You know, what was said? What coping was tried? How was the stress ramped up in school? You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I, I take it fortunate enough that I am almost borderline ASD and ADHD. Mm-hmm. I don't have meltdowns. I don't have much of sensory. I do have heightened sense of smell and an incredible heightened sense of hearing, but I do occasionally get a sensory overload when I'm out. I'll come home and I'll feel exhausted. My, I'll feel like I haven't slept all day. And it wasn't until my friend, had said, read, that sensory overload. You have ASD. It's as part of what. It's part of your life. Right. Right. And never realized that what that's what it was. Right. And I'm guessing parents just don't know how to even handle that.
1: Well, because most parents are never taught what is the difference between a tantrum, frustration, and an actual sensory meltdown. You know, and. <clears throat> And when you're at the beginning of your journey and your child hasn't been diagnosed and you don't know, it just looks like a bad temper tantrum or this child's mm-hmm. really out of control. Once once you know, once you have the diagnosis, once you have that particular lens to look through if you will, then you can see quite clearly. This is a meltdown, you know. I think more mm-hmm. professionals should, you know, when they're giving the autism diagnosis, there there should be a, a packet of resources that you know are given to the parent. It was so helpful to me years into our journey to read what's the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown, you know, because mm-hmm. at four and five, you're thinking. I don't know. Is this a tantrum? Like, is he melting down? It's certainly out of control, but nobody ever talks about meltdowns. And so is he having a tantrum? I mean, parents of kids with autism need so much more education. Um, Oh yeah. 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 They
0: do i mean i never knew exactly what a meltdown truly was until i looked it up and it's the step right after the sensory overload mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where your mind just says get out of here get out of what's causing all this information coming at you get into a place of quiet dark where your mind could calm down
2: yeah
0: and i wrote in my blog i wrote the the best analogy I can give in computer terms for a meltdown is think of your, think of it as getting a blue screen Ah. on your computer and your machine reboots. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening with your mind. Your, your mind is rebooting. You're crying and and your tantrums are the stress being released. And then when you come to, that's when you next when you come back up and you're normal. Right. Right. It's basically your mind resetting itself.
1: Yep. 100%. And and it can take 30, 45, 60 minutes. And educators an, need to know that that if you have a child who has sensory overload and a meltdown in your classroom, you can't, you know, give that person 2 minutes in, to collect themselves and then say let's get out to recess. Like educators need more education on what happens when a kid with autism really has a meltdown?
0: Yes. I mean, the pro, I've talked with people and they said, yeah, my who, who have had kids who are on the spectrum and they say, yeah, when my kids come home, they go straight to their rooms and they're in there for about 45 minutes until they're ready to come out. Yeah. I don't bother them. I know what they're doing. <laughs> they're, they're desensitizing themselves. And then when they come out, they come out. I don't push them. I mean, I have a mother. I talked with a mother who's got a husband and both her kids are on the spectrum. <sighs> and then a mother who's on the spectrum and both her sons are on the spectrum and the husband isn't. So it's kind of reverse. Um, interesting. Okay. And just how they all balance each other out and how how they know when when you come home it's time for the, the to reset
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah i mean for me when i was in college i knew i was having issues with sleep i thought it was sleep until later on i realized that's not i'm i'm it's not because of sleep i'm getting sensory overload just from everything happening around me
2: um,
0: all the time right I would wake up feeling like I've been crying all day, my eyes were puffy, and I just felt out of it. That makes and then, sense. And I didn't, Yeah, that makes until sense. then. And then, until my friend said, that's sensory overload, what you were feeling. Yeah.
1: Oh, that makes perfect
0: sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. Once you get educated and you see it, it really is so easy to understand.
0: Mm hmm. How do you deal with those parents who just won't refuse the diagnosis that their kids could be on the spectrum?
1: Well, I think for us, in our practice, a lot of kids are already, I mean, kids are having struggles when they come to us. And so often the parents already know My kid has ADHD. My kid has anxiety. My kid has dyslexia. My kid has, you know, mild autism. So many times we get them and they already Mm -hmm. know the diagnosis. Now, if they're coming to us and they've never had an evaluation and the parent is like, oh, they're just lazy, you know, usually we'll say, you know, well, let us get started and we'll see how things are. And then let's kind of regroup in a month and see if there's any reason that we think an evaluation might be hopeful and and so what i find is you know if you're listening with the parent and you present it as you know uh, i mean what we have to say right because we don't do evaluations is i think it would be really helpful for felicia to have an evaluation because i think the more you understand her brain the more you can help her as her parent And the more Felicia understands about her brain, the more she can take charge of her brain. And so, you know, there's something going on there that for me, it would make coaching a better use of your resources. Mm -hmm. And I I rarely, and again, you know, I have this niche practice. When the kids come to us, they're not doing well in school. So parents are very Mm -hmm. motivated to help their kid fix that. So if we suggest a referral for an evaluation I will say for the most part parents in my practice will listen now parents in general will say you know all kinds of things that you've you've heard before oh he's just a boy oh she's a little spacey like oh well oh sorry he's a summer birthday like Oh, his father was just like that. You know, I don't, I don't step in those outside casual conversations very much because that's not really my place. You know Um, I can share a little bit like, Oh, when we had our son evaluated, I know it was stressful for us. It was really helpful to understand his brain. Um, But
0: it must've, Put a light bulb on your head once you've once they said oh your son and your daughter both have ASD and ADHD and you're like oh that explains a lot of why they're acting the way they do.
1: Yes it does and and because they are both bright and and they are motivated and we mm-hmm. treat the ADHD um to me it is sometimes difficult because they both can be rigid in different ways. Um, and things mm-hmm. kind of have to be the way they have to be. But, um, I don't know that it's any worse than living with, um, type one diabetes. I don't mm-hmm. know that it's worse than having some form of childhood cancer. Like I didn't ever write my children off because they had 80, no. ADHD or autism. Um, In fact, I mean, this is my training, though. Prevention, early intervention, early intervention, like help them learn how to work their brain. Um, So I think for me, we never really went through this grieving process like, oh, my child's on the spectrum. Like, how horrible is that? Because we knew they were different. I mean, right. Like your child doesn't change the day before they get a diagnosis and the day after they get a diagnosis. They're still the same child. Right. Like. Right. And as a parent who wanted to do everything to help them build their potential, I was glad to have a way to make sense of it. The same way you'd want to know if your kid had this amazing athletic ability or if your kid was a musical prodigy. Right. Or, you know. If your kid's kidneys didn't work, you just want to know this stuff so you can put into place whatever supports are needed. You know, Um, that that was always my feeling about it.
0: Do they get along with each other?
1: You know, they're very close in age. They're about 18 months apart and they do. um, I mean, they fight sometimes, but they, they do get along pretty well. My son, who's our older one, um, is very, very sensitive and empathic and kind
0: and caring. Mm,
1: And, um, he really makes that relationship work in a lot of ways by being Mm -hmm. so kind and caring, but then, I'll tell you, she's got his back. If he needs something or someone is saying something to him, you know, she's all about it. Like he was at camp this week and some camper said to him, um, you don't even have ADHD, which I, how does that mm-hmm. come up in sports camp? I don't
0: even know. I right? know, yeah, no.
1: And um, Lila says, my daughter says to, to my son, first of all, it's none of his business. Second of all, I hope you told him he can be quiet or go away. Third, what does he know about ADHD? Is he a psychiatrist? Is he a developmental pediatrician? No, he's not. And uh, we take medicine for our ADHD and we have ADHD coaches. So the fact that he doesn't see your ADHD is because your ADHD Mm -hmm. is getting treated. So he doesn't sound like he knows anything at all. I was like, wow. Okay, Lila, like, okay. Like,
0: well done. That's one of the... I mean, that's one of the things I talked about in one of my shows is the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. People don't see us mm-hmm. on our bad times. All they see is on their good times, and then they assume we don't have it because we're doing so well. Right. But they don't see the fact that one, we're on medicine, mm-hmm. two, we either out in society, we are masking. Yes. Which I'm totally against mm-hmm. because it totally drains everything out of you mm-hmm. by the time you get home, you're exhausted. Yeah. And people don't see that other half. Yeah. And that's why it's called an invisible disability because people don't see it. It's not like Downs where you see it or retardation or anything else. Yeah. It's in the it's a disabil it's a developmental disability of the brain. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's sometimes apparent and sometimes not. So the kid in the wheelchair, you know, always there, always clear. Mm -hmm. Like the kid with ADHD or ASD, sometimes their functioning is a little better, sometimes a little worse. What I hate is when people draw the conclusion from that, like, well, he did well yesterday. He should be able to do well today. Or, well, he tried harder today. No, you know what? His brain was a little less stressed today. You know, he was having a good day with his symptoms. He does his best every day. He does his best every day. And sometimes today's best is better than yesterday's best. But don't you ever say to me that my kids aren't doing their best today. Sometimes they're tired, they haven't slept right, they're reacting to you know, tension about something, they're stressed about mm-hmm. something and their executive functioning and their coping skills are not as strong. That doesn't mean they're not trying or they're not motivated. You know, That's just how that goes. Um, but you're right. When we have those good days, then people are like, oh, see, it's so much better. You're okay, you're okay. And then they see the bad day, they're like, oh, I had no idea you really had a problem. I'm like, I, I've told you <laughs> I have a diagnosis and this is what it looks like. And yeah. it's up and it's down and it's here and it's there. Um, but people really don't. And I suppose this is true of everything, right? Like I have a friend right now whose parent has Alzheimer's. My parents didn't have Alzheimer's. I don't get her life. Like, I don't get her life in that really deep way, right? Um, and mm-hmm. the same is going to be true, for autism, unless you get it on some deep level, you're not going to understand it.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, people, I mean, parents can be just so not understanding. of unless, Like you said, unless you've got a kid who's got both, they won't understand it. And it's just that thing. And then there's the other side of the fence where those... Where you face those who are toxic against you, and it's like, oh, you have what?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't want to talk with you. It's yeah. like, wait a minute, it's not contagious. It's not a STD or anything. Right. It doesn't make me a horrible person. Why? Right, right. I mean, I was on this dating app, and I was talking with this girl, and then I go, by the way, I have I have ADHD. <laughs> And she's like, okay, bye. I'm like, why? She's like, oh, my, my son has got ADHD and my ex had ADHD and it was a nightmare. And I'm like, uh, that doesn't mean one person is the same as the other. And she's like, no, I just don't want to deal with it. Bye. Okay. Okay. Well, that was some judgment right there. Yeah. I mean, having ADHD doesn't make us a horrible person. It just makes us a little absent-minded at times and distracted. Right. Right. That's about it. And a little impulsive. A
1: little impulsive.
0: Yeah. You see, what people don't realize is just like ASD, ADHD has got three different levels to it. Mm -hmm. And it can be controlled.
1: Yeah. ADHD can be very well controlled. As long as you're working with a good medical provider.
0: Yeah. I mean... Back in the day, I mean, like I said, we didn't know I had ADHD. I was diagnosed as learning disabled, put on Silart, and it was like a light switch. And then I was taken off of it later because of the fact that it affected the liver and then put on Stratera. And that did nothing for me, just made me feel spaced out. So I took myself off of it and I've been off of it forever. And then I met a really great therapist through a um i went through a trial medicine for asd for communications uh-huh. which was which was a, like a miracle drug for me because it was like all of a sudden i felt like i was outside of a fog uh-huh. and my mind was able to think and my mom was like he, he my my entire family was like you're a totally different person and then the therapist that runs it was a really good and stuff and we hit it off. And I said, I'd really like you to become my therapist and see what we can do for medicine for me. And he's like, okay. So I only have one session with him and he put me on Adderall. But what's interesting about me is I know my body. Well, mm-hmm. I know what signs to look for and things. And I knew my first time taking Adderall at the lowest dose, it felt like I ran. I was running a race. Mm-hmm. My heart was like beating really fast, and I was out of breath. And I told him, "He's like, okay, let's break it down to half. Half was working, but I felt my aggression was up more. Up. Oh, yeah. I was getting into more arguments with my mother mm-hmm. yeah. over stupid little things. And I'm like, okay, I'm my aggression's higher. Right. She's like, okay, let's reset and I tried it again did that and I still my aggression was up he's like okay we're going to cut you down to the lowest dose and that's where I've been t- to this day
1: yeah well and and that I think is something people need to understand and that medical providers need to explain that this is something that requires time and trials um you know mm-hmm. it's it's not like oh i have you know a strep throat or an ear infection and they know exactly which antibiotic to give you for that strain this year. You know, it, it there's more um trial. What am I trying to, what are the words I'm looking for? More trial and error. Um mm-hmm. and and that's just the way it is. But if someone says to you up, up front, Listen, we think we can make a huge difference, but you're going to have to kind of settle in for a few months and try this with us and work with us. That's different from somebody who's like, oh, give you some medicine. It'll be fine. And then you're like, oh, wait, I don't feel so fine. I'm calling back. Oh, yeah, that sometimes happens. You know, to me, it's all in the delivery of what are we educating patients about on the medical side of things? Yeah. All right. So, Reed, Um, I have a question for you.
0: Go ahead. Like I, like I said, it's it's open here. Okay.
1: So I don't know. You may or may not think this is funny, which is all fine. But I am wondering if you used to watch Inside the Actor Studio.
0: Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's how the name of the show kind of came about. It was a play on words.
1: Okay. So I have been wondering since you contacted me if you do. The questions from
0: you. No, I don't. You don't. No, I don't want to. I'm afraid if I use the questions, I can get almost, I may get copyrighted uh. because I think, I think the questions are <laughs> copyrighted to one extent or the other. Okay. Okay. But I would like to try sometime eventually, if I ever get to it, there's an other form of questions I have done. There is a book I come across called the cube. And I did this with my life coach group. And basically what it is, is you give these people, you describe four different things in a desert environment. And you have people describe these four things. One is a cube. One is a horse. One are flowers, a storm. And... And each thing represents a different per- part of that person. And it's basically the person putting their personality into those objects. Like the cube is you. Okay. The okay. horse is your husband. Okay. Flowers, your kids. The storm is trouble. The ladder is your friends. Okay. And it all basically comes together at the end and it um, makes one whole scene of where you see your life. And people don't realize that when you ask them these questions.
1: Interesting. So you could use that at some point if you wanted to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But who do you find easier to coach? You're the college kids or the middle school? Because I know middle school kids can be a little bit more rambunctious because they're still in, they're not yet graduated. And I know college kids can be a little bit more mature.
2: I
1: will say this is... It really interesting to us. I have coaches at the practice who love college students. I taught college for several years. I love that age developmentally, but Mm. the college students that we get uh, are often students who have not been identified early or they haven't Mm. always had good treatment. And um, They've developed often some resistance to using all of their tools. And so for me personally, I don't love coaching college students because I would much rather work with them in middle school or high school and, you know, Help them understand this is your brain and this is how it's going to work best and, and have them experience success and, and be able to do the early intervention piece. I have a coach, Michelle, at the practice. She loves students who have, you know, flunked out of college once. They're on academic probation. She's like, we're going to get this turned around. Um you know, so different people are different. Um, we mm. do we do have a lot of college students who come to us after um, being put on academic probation, um, and and we really like that turnaround process. Of okay, how do we get this back up to speed? You don't want to leave college, so what do we do here? Um, but I would say, I mean, my my personal favorites are sort of the the awkward um, on the spectrum um, middle school, high schoolers. Yeah. Like, because they're usually so interesting, you know, they have, quirks and they have things that they're really engaged in and they want to tell you about that and I like to learn and so you know I had a kid when I was first starting out who was all about comic books and wanted to Mm -hmm. teach me everything about comic books okay you know um I had a kid um who was all about Animals and, and wanted me to learn everything about gerbils and hamsters and um, I have one that was all about lizards, a girl who was all about lizards and you know <laughs> um, I, yeah, I find that stuff kind of interesting. Um, and, you know they're yeah. obviously high functioning in the sense of you know academically they're they're fine they need to fine-tune their academic skills but um, I, I find that I like the deep level, Connections and I like learning from the kids who have ASD.
0: Have you had any of your kids come to you and ask about help with, like, how to make friends? Because I know that's big with ASD. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think certainly the majority of the kids in our practice struggle socially for one reason or another, um, whether it's. ADHD, which tends to be associated with being a little bit developmentally behind socially and emotionally, whether it's, you know, the autism. And so there's that sort of, I don't get how friendship works. I don't, I want to talk to that person about my interest, but I'm not interested in what they're interested in. So why do I have to listen to that? I want to talk about my interest. Um, you know, there's the anxiety piece, you know, whether it's Mm. social anxiety or generalized anxiety that can get in the way. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I guess occasionally it comes up organically as we're setting goals, but it comes up a lot with the parents. Like I worry Mm. about Nancy because she doesn't seem to have any interest in meeting up with other people. You know, I worry about Mason because... You know, when he was in the younger grades, he had a lot of friends in the neighborhood and now he doesn't seem to be connected in his class, you know? Um, And I sometimes think these are kids who are, they're okay right now. They really are. And they're kids who are going to do so much better in adulthood, right? Like it's hard to thrive socially in middle school in the first place,
0: Yeah, I mean, because you when you're coming from grant from grammar school to middle school, grammar school, you're you're the king of the castle, you got all these friends and all of a sudden things change. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden you're the low dog on the totem pole and you gotta make your you gotta make your way and all new people, all new teachers. Yeah. It's a whole new fight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I knew for me when I went from from online college to going across the country to england for my masters i had to learn how to what was right and what was acceptable and what to say what not to say how to act when i'm around people i mean unfortunately i had a good disability advisor who helped me out and i also had a well-being advisor who helped me out but When you're that middle school kid, life is hard. Mm -hmm. It is. And especially when you got all these challenges going against you.
2: Yeah.
0: I knew when I was in high school, even grammar school, it was tough for me because people saw I did have many friends. Mm -hmm. People looked at me different. I was picked on a lot and I just had a hard time. I mean, I couldn't take notes in class because my mind just couldn't grab what were important things to write down and what wasn't. And I didn't know how to study right. I mean, so things were tough. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Middle school's hard. hard. Yeah.
0: What tactics do you use with your kids to help them, like, learn how to navigate school?
1: So, we really focus on teaching students executive functioning skills, which are just, mm-hmm. you know, all these things like time management, prioritizing, yes. finishing stuff you're not interested in, figuring out where <laughs> to keep your stuff, right? Figuring out how to keep track of what time it is and when something's due, figuring out how to sequence your work. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to start, you know? So we really focus on teaching those executive functioning skills, which are just, they're just life skills. They're skills that we all need in life. And then we focus on also the social and emotional learning. So kids have an understanding of who they are, how can they self-regulate, They have an understanding Mm -hmm. socially of what are other people about? How do I understand other people and how do I form relationships? So that's really the basis of coaching at Russell Coaching is we're working with our students in in a whole child way around executive functioning skills and social and emotional skills.
0: Now, how do you get one of your students? interested in the topic they have no interest in. I mean, I know that's hard. I mean, I know that with my friend, he is only got one. He's got that narrow interest of one thing and I'm trying to expand it. And it's almost like that rubber band. You pull it and then it just comes back. And it's like you got to understand you need to broaden your horizon. Otherwise, you're just going to be stuck. Right, right.
1: Well, I think that's particularly true for kids on the spectrum. And so for us, where we start is figuring out what are your goals? What do you want? You know, and, and sometimes kids will say, I want better grades. Sometimes kids will say, I want my parents to stop nagging me. I want to, you know, be less stressed about school. So whatever the goal is, that's what we use. And that's what we leverage to help build the skills. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. I want to be able to game for four hours every night but I have to do homework okay so let's figure mm-hmm. out how can we make the homework situation more manageable more efficient so you can do stuff you love um so it all starts with goals and we figure out what's getting in the way of achieving the goals and then we figure yeah. out what's the skills we need to focus on and then we just practice 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 those skills
0: Now, do you have any of your students who have issues with memory? Because I know with me, ADHD and my memory, it's hard. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, how do I hold all this information in? Is it there still? Is it gone?
1: Yes. We have a lot of students with memory um, problems, um, poor short-term working mm-hmm. memory. Um, one of the nice things about that is that Memory is definitely a muscle that can be strengthened. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we actually have all kinds of fun activities that we can do to help the child learn and practice memory. That doesn't always mean it's going to be 100%. But there are tons and tons of things. And most of them are fun games that you can do to increase memory. Or you can, you know, if you've got a child and you know that their working memory is kind of low, you know, give them four things to be responsible for in the store. I mean, there's so many, so many great things out there for how do you improve memory. That one... Mm -hmm. I'll take that that problem any day because it's a very manageable problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like I said, my memory, it sh- I can remember things people tell me that have happened in my past and they'll stick in my head. But like studying for exams, mm-hmm. I can't cram all that information and keep it in my head. Yeah, yeah. I had a well being advisor tell me when you study, there is a difference between knowing something. And because I said, I wish I had photographic memory, she's like, Well, there's a difference between knowing your material and understanding your material. Oh, yeah. Knowing it means you're just memorizing it and throwing the facts out. Yeah. Understanding it means you know it to the point where you can repeat it back to someone and understand what you're telling them. Right. Right. And that sticks to me in my head. Mm-hmm. And now, Cause I, cause I remember one day I was walking down this path and I was going over material for an exam and I understood it, what I was talking about going, going around and around and, under, and I understood it cause I was going over what I needed to know. And I told her this and she's like, see, I told you there's a difference between understanding and memorizing. You did both. You memorized the material and then you went over it to understand what it's all about. Perfect.
1: Yep. Exactly. And it takes some time to get to that deeper level understanding. And some people have an easy time with the memorizing, but they can't unpack it or reteach it or whatever. So yeah. yeah, you have to really, you have to know if you know it well enough to understand and explain it. And once you do, then you're generally okay.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, going back to, if your kids, How did did your two kids handle the pandemic being locked in for for a whole year? Yeah. It had to be tough on you and them.
2: So
1: we live in Florida, which is a very Mm -hmm. interesting state when it comes to science and medicine. And Mm -hmm. um, my kids were home in the spring of 2020. Reed, my daughter loved it. She sat in <laughs> the room, she did her work, she chatted on the side with her friends. She,
0: so she had hybrid classes or she was, Zoom classes. Well, she
1: was online, so they. she was like live online or she had, you know, she had a distance learning. But she was thrilled. She was at home, she didn't have to go anywhere, didn't have to talk to anyone, didn't have to see anyone, didn't have to put a uniform no, on.
0: No face-to-face socialization, it's an ASD's dream come true. Right.
1: Oh, 100% for her. Now, my son, who is the biggest extrovert you'll ever meet, loves people, loves conversation, loves listening to people, loves talking at people too, but really, (laughs) really loves connecting with people. Spring 2020 was a disaster. He couldn't, his brain couldn't make the shift to oh, this is what it's gonna be like now, right? It wasn't that he couldn't do the work, he could do the work. Um, But, oh, is this how language arts is gonna be? This is where I find this on the Google Drive. This is how my teacher is doing this. There was so much disruption to the routine that required Mm. building a whole new schema of how he was going to learn that it was really hard. Now,
0: yeah, it's like taking a monkey wrench and throwing it into oh, a routine that you already know.
1: One hundred percent. And so he had to learn a whole new system. And the way his brain is wired is he doesn't get those things
0: sometimes.
1: You know, it just it's not immediately clear to him. So one did beautifully in the spring. One did not. Um, one was <laughs> struggling in the spring. And then I, because we live in Florida, um, where um, we have some interesting ideas about science, um, yeah. all of the public school kids went back to school in Florida. So
2: Aye.
1: they were, they have been in face-to-face schools since August. They're done now. Um, mm. so they had a normal ish year this
0: past year. And how do you deal with coaching with the pandemic? Were you mostly Zoom well, with your clients? or in person with masks,
1: you know, we are a national coaching practice. So while I'm in Tampa, we have coaches who are in Montana. We have coaches who are in, you know, the East, um, um, the Northeast. We have coaches who are in Las Vegas, California, and we have clients who are all over the United States. So we had already made the move to working nationally before covid so all of our coaching is done one-on-one on on zoom and i think we were just fortunate because we kind of had it figured out um right when schools closed um and so for us if anything parents are telling us that they love it they don't have to drive their kids somewhere and (laughs) you don't have to be somewhere near a center to be able to get coaching you know it's it's Beautiful. I can work with somebody who's in rural Montana. I can match them with a coach who's in Delaware and Mm -hmm. they can work together to help that student be successful. Um, I had a coach who was in India in the spring and he would work with students um, here in the United States. We'd work out the time difference. Um, I love that it has made more um people able to take advantage of coaching
0: yeah i mean i've talked with a woman who's literally in portugal who are training their coaches um all around the world to do, to coach kids who are on on the spectrum um, yeah so i mean yeah i mean zoom has done them amazing things i mean my life coach is in new jersey mm-hmm. he set me up with a coach who's in new jersey too and he's talked with people all over the world yeah yeah um, let's see um, have you had students come back to you and thank you for all the work you've put in
1: well, I have to say that that is rewarding. I've had a couple myself who I worked with when they were in high school who graduated college this year. And um, Charlie, my, my favorite guy, Charlie, um, who, you know, sent me a couple of things while he was in college, but then finished up college and said, you know, there's no way that I would have been able to make it through college without what you taught me in high school. And, and, wow. and. Just knowing that you believed in me. Um,
0: that's a huge thing when, because when somebody like us has someone who believes in us,
2: yeah,
0: it just picks you up. Right.
1: That part is so important.
0: And that's why, I mean, I think parents need to believe in their kids Mm -hmm. and that's not write it off as being lazy or or undisciplined it's they need to understand it's something going on with us yeah and the problem with society is people there are those who just don't want to be educated in what asd and adhd is and it's like i don't want any part of it it's something you have you deal with it i'm like what do you mean me deal with it? You're the one that's got to learn about it so you understand me. I understand it because I live it. Right,
2: right,
1: right. Exactly.
0: It's just a tough world out there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, do you take anything you've learned from your kids and bring it with you to help your your students? I mean, have your kids taught you anything that you, like... Want that you t- taught your um, college students or your middle school students?
1: I think for me, being the mom of two kids who are atypical has taught me love, mm-hmm. patience, and the importance of detective work, right? If you yes. don't understand this behavior, keep going, figure it out. Um, you know, don't stop with some easy negative label. So I think, I think what I've learned from being their mom is never give up, stop mm-hmm. trying. And I mean, never give up, don't stop trying. And, um, you know, keep your eye on the long run, you know, is it better, worse, or the same as six months ago? Are you making progress in some way? Um, I do have moments of, of glory at home when I'm like, yes, finally we're hitting it. My 13 year old um, <laughs> wants to have, you know, his screens um, in the morning in summer. And he comes to me at night and he'll say, okay, what do I need to do in the morning to have my screen? And I said to him a couple of nights ago, You know, you get a little bit unhappy when I give you a list of five things and you get a little stressed out saying you can't remember that. I said, do you know that about yourself? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, so I'm just going to suggest it's your choice. I can tell you the list or another option is you could go get a pad of paper and I could write down the list for you. And that might not stress you out as much as listening to the five things you have to do before you get your screen. (laughs) Read that boy went off and found a pad of paper and a pencil. He did not argue with me. He did not bicker with me. He did not say, no, I'll remember it. He did not say, why does it have to be so many things? He went, got the paper. Then he says to me, I think it should go on the refrigerator above the ice. Um, you know, the ice part of the freezer, because that's where I make my water in the morning.
0: Oh, wow.
2: Okay,
1: let's do it. Wow. I was like, this is what I want. This is why I teach executive functioning because your brain doesn't automatically wake up every morning and say, take the dog out, feed the dog, put socks and shoes on, eat breakfast, brush your teeth, Some people can carry that in their head, right? Yours can't, but you're not disabled, um, right? You just write it down and get it done.
0: No, I mean, I've been, I don't know if you've heard of this app. It's by a small company out in Denmark called Timo, T-I-I-M-O. Okay. It's a, it would be great for your son and daughter because it's a, um, it's a visual planner, for those of us on ASD and ADHD, where you literally can create routines for yourself Mm -hmm. and you set it up on a computer and then you sync it with your phone or your um, tablet. Love it. And it it basically gives you a reminder and it'll say nine o'clock. You say, like for me, I have it all set of my, I have my weekday reminders and I have my weekend reminders. Basically get up. It's like shower brush your teeth, meditate, get dressed, do your blog and everything else for so-and-so and and then relaxation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great app. And and another thing I've learned from one of my, my life coach, he says, write a list of three things. You don't have to complete them. Just try to get them done. And then, come back the next day and try to complete the next thing and then come back the next. If you can't get the next one, come back the next day.
1: Oh, I love that.
0: As long as you have that three things, that list of three things, Yeah. don't try to complete it all. Right. Try to complete one at a time. Yep. I love
1: that. It's purpose, it's goals, it's figuring out what you want in life, what matters, its priorities. I love that. Reed, it's been yeah. so great to talk with you today.
0: It's been great talking with you today, Noreen.
1: You have a great show here.
0: Thank you very much.
1: And a wealth of information and, and empathy for people um, who are wired differently.
0: I mean, if you got you got any questions for me you want to ask?
1: I just had my one question about inside the actor's studio and I couldn't wait to ask it. So I have already.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but everyone says I am a little bit different than everyone else out there. I mean, I consider myself different. I am. I'll tell my friend because he's more severe than I am. He's like, "You're not even an Aspie." I'm like, uh, "I am an Aspie. I am just borderline, very much so. I sit on that fence where I see both sides of the world. Yeah. I see how it's like. I can live my life as an NT, and people won't know mm-hmm. until I say something." and people will then wonder why I said what I said. Right. And then I also have the, and the um, neurotypical side where I have my only issues are social and spatial. Uh-huh. I have trouble knowing that personal space. Yeah. And that cost me a volunteer position at a museum. Mm-hmm. People would complain that I, volunteers would complain I was standing too close. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: those are hard things yeah
1: well you're definitely doing what you're supposed to be doing with your life
0: thank you very much
1: all right all right